Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Maliri and this is XJob Downloaded. And today I'm going to interview Zoe Hingston. Now, have I said that correctly? You have, yeah. Thank the Lord. Because I have got previous convictions for pronouncing people's surnames wrong and I don't like to do that. So I like to, to know that I've got that right. But so <laughs> you were in the police service, but where did it all begin for Zoe? What, what is Zoe about and, you know, what's your background? Um. So actually, it kind of, before the police, I didn't actually want to be in the police. That was like a secondary choice, actually, interestingly. Um, so originally, I am from um, Sri Lanka. That's actually where I was born. But I've lived in the UK basically the majority of my life. Um, and I actually, when I was younger, wanted to be a solicitor. So I kind of followed that path. Um to be honest with you, careers advice when I was younger was terrible. I'll never forget being told that um, my kind of prospects were going to be a cloakroom attendant assistant. So get this right. So not just a cloakroom attendant, not even the main person, a cloakroom attendant assistant. I don't remember how it came about, but it's always just stuck with me. I don't even know how you even get that kind of careers advice. And this is at um, school, though, isn't it? This is your school yeah. career advisor. Yeah. So, I mean, as a straight-A student, I found that really bizarre. <laughs> but I think it's rude. I, think... <laughs> it is. I mean, goodness knows how that all came about, but I just remember it being very interesting. So maybe that was some sort of weird way of spurring us on a little bit. I don't know, but... Um, I actually, so I just carried on. I was heavily influenced by Perry Mason, goodness knows why. And I went, studied law and languages, worked at a law firm in Germany for, for a little bit um, during my degree and just thought, I'm not sure this is for me. I don't seem to really be helping people in the way that I thought I'd be helping people. Um, and then hence the police came. But the, but the law, I mean, I've got a lot of friends who are, involved in the law from barristers and lawyers and you know solicitors and what have you it, it is an honorable trade and it is a trade that really does help people because we get people coming to us all the time that are looking for good lawyers and you're obviously um community spirited as much as anything else but what type of law were you were you practicing because to practice in germany must have been pretty difficult a very commercial aspect of law so it was it wasn't, in my view, helping people. It was more about money contracts. Right. You know, funding other organizers. It wasn't what I kind of thought. And to be honest, it goes back to what I said, Paul, around about. You obviously speak fluent German. 
well, I certainly spoke better German then than I do now. I was not <laughs> using it. <laughs> well, yes, of course, of course. But what other languages do you speak then? Uh, Spanish. So that was the other part of my degree, but um, that I was blessed with from my mum. Picked that up at an early age. So um, she's South American. So I had that kind oh, of wow. listening of language. So, um, yeah, that was another side that I was lucky to have. Well, that's fantastic. I, you know, I think that kids, I, I believe it now, that, that kids should really be given the opportunity to learn a language at an early age. And if you're blessed with parents that do speak another language or if English isn't their first language, I think that's absolutely brilliant. And this goes on to the inclusion element of your life because it's about, you know, we want everybody to be included. So what year did you join the police service? Uh, 2006. And what what service did you go into? Um, I went to Northumbria Police. And what was that like then? So this lady with a Sri Lankan background whose mum speaks Spanish is going into Northumbria, which is, um, it, that's a tough gig. Working up in that part of the world is a tough gig. What was that like for you? Mm. I mean, I think I say this all the time. I didn't really see it in that way. I just saw it as I wanted to go into a role where I could help people, and I believe that's what the police did. I, I felt that it was something that I could do where I could actually have an impact on people's lives and almost give back in the way that I felt I've had opportunities to be where I am and doing what I'm doing. So I think as a person, when I joined the police, I was very naive because I didn't really know what the what being a police officer meant. I wasn't like others who maybe had uh, friends and family. I didn't have that network of people who were already in the job and could tell me about it. And I think that something that's underlying in a lot of people like myself who come into the job and don't have those networks. So I really went in, you know, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready just to kind of go with it, roll with it, see what it was like. Um, and I didn't have any expectations on anything. I didn't genuinely know what to expect. So going into it, I just was there to do my best and be the best that I could. And what was your first station? Um, so I was actually, well, obviously you go through your initial kind of tutor phase, um, but I was in the West End of Newcastle um, when I kind of started. Um, and that was, it was strange because actually the demographic there were very much like me at the time. So I was kind of going into a police area very much like people like me. Um, and... It was just, it was a residential area. It was um, more sort of domestic related type um, crimes, more the like burglaries, it was less. You know, I went on to work in a city centre, which again is very different in its nature of what you're dealing with. And it was just a complete eye opener. You know, I remember saying to someone, we didn't have sat navs. Um, so I used to just walk around with an A to Z down my staff vest because that's what you had to do and I'll you know going on foot patrol because you weren't allowed in a vehicle because you were a probationer and sort of walking down the street pulling out your A to Z when a job comes in to find out where you need to be. But that's that's brilliant and that's character building and I, I'm not saying that you know 
I just think that sometimes people need to know their ground before they can actually go move on to the next step. Do you think that Northumbria Police selected you to undertake that role because of the demographics and because of your cultural background? I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I just went where I was stationed. Um, certainly, while I was, after a while of being in that role, I did sometimes wonder whether I was sent. I had a, a I'd had a few incidents where it had actually backfired the other way where oh, really? there was an assumption made when I got to the job that I might have the same background as the people who were there and that kind of went against it because I didn't have the same and uh, you know maybe language or um experience um but could I honestly have hand on heart say I was put there I don't know how long did you serve in that particular role I mean, I was I was response for quite a while before um, I sort of moved on. I think in those times, that's the way it was. You stayed on response, really. Um, and then after that, I moved into neighbourhood policing. Um, and so it, it was kind of like a natural step that wasn't, you know, didn't really talk about promotions. It was very, very much that old fashioned mindset of you've got to have an X amount of years. You know, it's very different now in how we support people and, and push them to achieve because we have different types of people coming into policing now. But um, I, I left, I actually have to say, out of my entire career and all the things that I did within policing, response was probably the thing that I enjoyed the most. Yeah. Um, I think it was hard and working in different sectors, different kind of demographic areas between residential and you know, like city centre is very hands-on, um, but there's just something about it. It's just something about that camaraderie of the shift. There's something about the people that are around you, you know, that feeling, that family kind of aspect. That's really interesting. And what was the demographics, the, the makeup of the police service at that point when you were there? I mean, you're talking about, I think, well, so when I left, if you if you're looking at um, kind of people from a, a black or Asian background, you're you're talking about it, when I left, it was a lot higher than when it started. Mm. But you're still talking about probably now still less than ten percent. I mean, we'll come on to your stuff with the BPA, but why do you think there are fewer um, people from those backgrounds joining the police service. What 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 do you think the reason is? Well, I think I mean there isn't one particular reason. It's it's a, I always think it's a multifaceted reason. There's firstly what I've just told you there, which is about networks and and family, and even to this day and on leaving, there was still a number of people who were joining who were joining because they wanted to um, follow in the footsteps of family. They wanted to do what their mum, their dad, their granddad, whatever, had done before. So that does make up a proportion of those officers who are coming in. But then there's the other side of it in that how policing is viewed by the external community and that sense of if I went in there, would I be able to feel like I could do the job? Because it isn't just about belonging as an individual in policing. It's also about what they see as happening to police to people as a result of that so it's like it's two different things and then and you've got to look at the recruitment and how we recruit 
you know, it it's just there's not one answer to it. But and when people say it's not an attractive role, I don't think that's always just solely down to ethnicity. There's many people who don't see policing as an attractive role. You only have to look at the popular press and the way that the police are treated in the popular press. And some of it is right. Some of it is absolutely not right. Um, you can see why there is a stigma sometimes within some some people's minds. I'd join the police again in a heartbeat. Um, I absolutely loved it and I, I wouldn't change... I'd change things that I did in there, but I wouldn't... You know, I'd still be a police officer. I absolutely adored it. But what was your family's reaction? There's nobody in my family who's been in the police. Um... I mean, I think initially they were just a bit because I'd invested my education and everything into wanting to be a solicitor, done everything that I had up to that point. So I think it was more of the change of career than anything else that they were a bit like, oh, okay. But once, you know, they saw it as a, a reputable, you know, profession, they didn't really have any issues with me doing it. Obviously, they were worried for me and, you know, wondering whether my personality would be one that I could kind of survive in the police with. But, you know, I mean, they didn't have a problem with me joining at all. That's interesting. I I, um, I got to meet Norwell Roberts, who was the first Metropolitan Police officer um, with a, a West Indian background. And he said that, you know, his, his family and his friends and the older members of his old community, his community, were absolutely brilliant, but it was the youngsters that found it really difficult to engage with him. Um, what sort of experiences did you have with your, within the Sri Lankan community in Newcastle? I don't even, I, don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was um, the Sri Lankan community. I mean, that's a very small community where I live, but I think generally people from a sort of Asian background I think there was more interest because they'd never really seen anyone like me before you know there wasn't many people who I used to even up to leave and I would still get comments from people saying well I've never seen someone like you or oh it's great to see someone like you you know they're just there's that kind of role modeling identification with um seeing police officers because when you go down south and particularly in the Met it is completely normal to see people like that because they are uh, I'm going to say slightly more reflective but up north it's not like that at all so it still becomes something of a, a rarity for them to see someone like that. So what was the motivator to get involved with the BPA Black Police Association? So it's quite interesting so I remember when I was very very young in service and um, I remember being approached by another officer I was very young in service, like I say, I don't even think I was out of my probation. And um, they just said to me, oh, hello, you know, do you want to join the BPA? And I thought they said something else at first, to be honest, but they, um, I said, what's the, what's the BPA? And they said, oh, it's the, the Black Police Association. And I said, well, I'm not black, I'm Asian, so how could I uh, join the Black Police Association? And then obviously at the time, it was then explained to me the, about the political term black and that that's actually what the men essentially anyone who's not white falls into that category so i i sort of understood that and I, I was absolutely horrified because all i could think at the time was oh my god why would i want to raise my head above the parapet like that why would i want to be part of something that highlights something that i feel i've kind of got to keep on the down low to just carry on doing what i'm doing 
So it was probably quite a long time before I decided that uh, actually I wanted to explore that. And I think it was when I started to become aware of probably the experiences that I was having and other people around us and thought, okay, let's understand a little bit more. And from a network perspective and being able to share experiences, it was probably one of the best decisions I made in terms of really helping me understand a lot of what I was processing. Because you've got to imagine it isn't about this idea that people think that, you know, they get together and they have this flag and they're calling everybody racist and that, you know, that we've got to be separate from them and we can't do this. But some of it for me was about the experiences that I was having, because when I went out on duty, if there was going to be a kickoff or something, they always went for the person, the, a characteristic that they could see the most you know, it was more than more often than not, it would be the color of your skin. So you would get racially abused. And obviously you would want to just carry on with your job, let it brush off, not kind of think about it. You know, mostly you felt mortified because you'd been singled out out of someone else of, of in the group that were there. And you didn't want to particularly talk about it with people who maybe didn't quite get it. I mean, don't get us wrong. The people who I was with were always horrified, but you didn't want to have that conversation. So those networks gave me an opportunity to talk about that kind of thing and understand what it felt like, understand, have that kind of feeling of empathy from a lived experience perspective. Do you know what? You just explained that perfectly because I didn't even think of it from that perspective. And, and, and that's my my ignorance, if, if you like. What, what was the relationship like within the police? Because you said there were experiences, but did you have negative experiences within the police with your own colleagues? I mean, nothing as overt as what I would have externally. I think there was just more a lack of understanding sometimes, um, you know, a curiosity, if you like, about what your life might be like. Some of it was stereotyping. Some of it was just, you know, not really understanding differences in, in people. So no, I mean, I didn't have experiences externally. What I would say is there were things that perhaps you, would, you wouldn't necessarily fit the prototype or the profile of what someone had been like before in, in a certain role or had done a certain thing. And you, you maybe it was harder to kind of crack that. Um, and, and I think that's, again, I would always say that's also, I will I would layer that with being female as well. So I think it isn't just about one thing as of ethnicity as a standalone. For me, it was also about gender as well and, and kind of overcoming some of those barriers internally in policing. Did you find that the police service improved, though, from the day that you joined to the day that you left, that there was, a, there was a, an improvement? So... I would say hand on heart that I probably spent the early part of my service trying really hard to block out anything that was kind of going on, trying not to to focus on that. But it became harder and harder. And then I would say in the middle of my service, I was starting to be very much aware of what was kind of going on, whether that was externally or internally. And then I think when I left, I think the police you know, they had the race action plan, they had all these things they wanted to do to improve how we police externally. Um, but I don't think they'd really thought about the internal. So do I think it was in a better place? I think it wants to be in a better place. I think that's what it's genuinely trying to, 
to get towards. Do I think it knows how to get there? No, I think basically they've all got in the car and they haven't learned how to turn the engine on. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it's, uh, it is a sad indictment and I sit and watch senior managers who go on about institutional racism and all that. Well, actually, they were part of all this. They were part of uh, the problem. So what did they do at the time? It's no good them sitting there as a commissioner or a chief officer saying, oh, this is terrible. What did, they've been there 30 years, so what did they do? And I, I'm a real, you know, I like people. That's why I do what I do. And I'm interested, not because I've got any, there's no connotation. I'm just genuinely interested. And all my friends will tell you exactly the same. But I would be heartbroken if I thought I treated somebody different because of who they were, were where they were from, and what, you know, what their background was. But you're right, I don't think they know how to turn the, the, the car on. You have to understand as well that there's so much, it's so loaded all the time and you've got so many different voices in, in policing that I think at times it just, the message gets lost. So you look at um, the comments where people make around, you know, well, if I give you an example, they'll say, well, I'm here to do a job. I'm not bothered what somebody's background is. Obviously, they'll say it in a different way, but they'll, they'll say, I'm not bothered what someone's is. I'm here to do a job. And that's so narrow-minded because mm. actually, if you look at um, if you look at even the Pelian principles, you know, this idea of policing by consent, you have to understand what that means. People say it all the time. We're here to police by consent. Well, that's about legitimate policing. That's about being transparent about your process and what how you're getting to where you are. That's about you know keeping having trust and confidence from the the, the communities that you're serving. It isn't what the what the public don't consent to is what some of what's happening now, and that's the yeah. difference. So you have to. You have to understand that it's not just as simple as I'm going to put my uniform and go out. I know people would love it to be that simple, but when you're dealing with people, it's never going to be that simple. Did you go? Did you go for promotion whilst you were in the job? Yes. Yeah. So I went for promotion, um, and you know, it was. It's very much an outline process at the the ranks that I was at. It is doing an exam and then. Um, doing whatever internal process your force decides that it wants to put you through and i think again that's another example of you know differences throughout the forces in terms of what they want somebody to go through to be promoted did you get the support though to get promoted do you do you feel that they supported you to to get promoted or were they blockers i think um Again, I think the intention was there. I think they're probably not just myself. I think they want to support people. They say they want to, but it goes down to what does that actually look like in order to support someone? Yeah. Because, you know, there's one thing I'll say about police officers who particularly at the sergeant and inspector rank, they are doing this off their own, through their own finances. They're financing it themselves. They're buying the books. They're putting themselves through the courses, you know, as much as they say they want to support people, that time of revision and being able to understand and, and speak whatever is the buzzwords that they want to hear for people who are so far removed from that rank at times that they may have forgotten what it means to be there. It's, it's a really hard process to navigate for people. 
And the reason why some managers will take on a project to get people promoted is so that they can get themselves promoted to the next rank. And that's the cynical mm. side of me, but that's the, that's the absolute fact. But you're right. If I, if I think about the time that I invested in getting promoted to go through the sergeants and inspectors, the courses that I attended, to jump through hoops to, to do that, it's, there are a lot of sound bites from senior managers because they think that's what people want to hear. You know, the, with the Essex have got a really great guy there, Vernal Scott. He does a great job for inclusion. I hope that he's truly supported, and I think he probably is. But I do believe a lot of it is sound bites from senior management. I'm a cynic, but I think that that's the absolute truth. Well, I just think, again, it goes down to, you know, policing has a long way to go to move from it being about who you know. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's still not there yet. And I think that does have, you know, not just an impact on people from underrepresented backgrounds, but also from the wider perspective of the workforce and that difference of opinion that difference of voice is never going to penetrate further up because of that layer that the like to say isn't there but actually it, it becomes almost like a metaphorical ceiling doesn't it yeah, for many many people and also you know being a manager is a privilege being able to you're there to support other people and if you've got if you're promoting people who are essentially just mimicking behaviors and um creating a culture the same as what they've seen previously or they believe what they've got to achieve to do it you're just continually repeating the cycle aren't you yeah absolutely right what year did you leave the job um 2022 and by that time you had you you were the the vice chair of the bpa no general secretary general secretary but did they did they get involved in the political side of, of policing? In terms of political, I find that really an interesting um, question to ask because actually, again, you know, you look at what is politics? So, and people say, I don't vote because I don't get involved in politics, but actually politics affects all of our lives all the time. And as police officers, we are, whether we want to admit that, part of a political system because we are part of, of um, a government arm, we are part of the crown, we are part of a system. So I think when you say, do they get involved in politics, every single police officer is involved in some form of politics. They are, but they're not allowed to have an over-affiliation in politics, are they? You, you, can't, you, couldn't, you couldn't join the CND... Um, you couldn't join the Labour Party. You can't join a polit political party because you've got to be non-political. So that's yeah. that's the point I'm probably trying to make. Do you think right. it, Do you think there was a militancy within the BPA? No, I think I, 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 no, not at all. I think it's funny that that's the way. It, that's not the first time that I've been asked that question, and I think I would ask, what is it? Think they are doing to be like that and and again it comes down to the voices that 
um, they're talking about a lot of what they're dealing with is they're looking at how officers and staff and volunteers are feeling within the job and then also looking at the impact that you know some of what, what policing is is having on on the outside do I think that's political or militant no do I think that they're radical no I think it's like any any kind of support organization that is there to support someone and, and raise points to make it a better situation do you, do you think there should be a greater cohesion between the different associations though because you make a really valid point there because everybody should have opportunity and should have a voice and should so you know whether it's the Sikh association whether it's the bpa LGBTQ, whoever it may be, do you think there should be greater cohesion between the different associations to to have a bigger voice? I think um, from an intersectionality perspective, so everybody obviously has a number of characteristics that I've already mentioned before about, you know, for me, ethnicity and gender are the, the main barriers that I face on a, on a sort of daily basis. But yeah, of course, they need to have more cohesion but the difficulty and the only problem with that is if you then look at trying to put everything back into a homogenous group then we're back at the beginning again aren't we where we're not really identifying yes do I think that they could use their collective voices and talk about what's impacting on different people but different associations have different um challenges mm. as well so, so you can't always say that people here have the same challenges as there so whilst I do believe yes a collective voice is is often more helpful in some respects I don't think that you can always rely on that to get you the best outcome and how did you see how does the country I mean this is a question you probably you may not be able to answer but were the issues say in Devon and Cornwall the same as those in Northumbria or were there differences in the different forces are you talking about internally? Yeah. I mean, again, it's when you have people, you will always have similar problems around um, how people are being affected by the culture around them. I think if you look at the most recent stuff with the Met and what came out of that and, and what, what Baroness Casey talked about, do I think that some of that's going on in other forces? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Do I think it's possibly exactly the same scenarios? Maybe not exactly the same, but they'll be close. I think that all police forces have things that they, because of the systems and the processes, and when you talk about those systemic issues, are all the way through policing. And that, yes, is obviously going to affect lots of different forces. Is there a, an exemplar force? I don't know. I've certainly not heard one being put up there. I know that there has been forces who have been seen to be better at recruitment. You know, I know that the forces have been better at their stop and search rate. I know that there's forces who perhaps have had less attrition over the years, but there isn't one in particular that anyone could shine the light on and say they're perfect. But but there should be, shouldn't there? Because there should be best practice. Because if you've yeah. got 42 or 43 police services in the United Kingdom and one of them is shining above everybody, why do they not adopt that one process 
if that process works for them, if they've got a greater success around recruitment, what are they doing right? But they don't do that. They'll have individual forces, will have individual setup, and therefore it doesn't ever get resolved. The issue doesn't get resolved. They don't take the best bits. They'll just set up another thing, get someone else promoted, and then there you go, or they'll fail. And then they'll, and, and Casey, I think, is a turning point for the police because actually it highlights that policing in the community is failing. That's that's the main point that I've taken out of it. Yes, it's. I think people, the um, the issue around uh, racist behaviour and what have you. I think people see that um, they they they've only read those headlines. They haven't looked at the big picture, and it's about the community as a whole. What was the motivator to leave the police? Um, probably some of what you've already mentioned there. I think some of it was the fact that I'd kind of felt like I wasn't really achieving much. I felt like I'd probably come into policing too early in terms of the journey that policing is going on and where it wants to be. And, you know, so that if you aren't the bog standard person that they want, that you might have a better chance of thriving within policing and, you know, a lot of that is about feeling like I can be my best to help the person that I'm turning up at the job because ultimately that's what I was there for. I was there, not for me. I was there to help the person that I turned up at the door to deal with or, you know, whoever had called us. And if I didn't feel like I was thriving in my situation, then what's, what help can I do for anybody else? And I think you talk about um, the turning point of the Casey report I think the turning point is well and truly. I think they've done about I think they've done about twenty nine thousand donuts on the road. You know, there's been a lot of there's the turning points come way before that in terms of policing, but we, we just repeat this cycle of let's do another report, let's see what else it might say, let's see where we get to, but we just rehash the same problems over and over. And for me, I just wanted to be, I wanted to go back to why I joined the police in the first place and it was to help people and I felt I'd come to the end of where I could do that in policing. Yeah, you're absolutely, I mean, you are absolutely right because they just regurgitate. You look at McPherson, the stuff that came out of that, they're still talking about it 30 years later in the Casey report. I mean, it, it's shameful, if I'm really honest with you, that we're in that situation. How was the news received by Northumbria Police when you when you put in your ticket and said, that's it, I'm, I'm finishing? How did they take the news? I think it's like anybody who leaves policing after being there for such a long time. I think people, I think there was a little bit of disbelief, <laughs> a little bit of, what? You're leaving? <laughs> because I think people don't generally leave with that service. I think people often feel trapped by their pension and feel that, they may not have the skills to go elsewhere, but, you know, policing gave me an incredible amount of skills. It's given me um, interpersonal skills as well as external skills that I can apply into a lot of jobs. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, they were just a bit sad. They were sad. I know there was a number of conversations where sort of, you know, is, is it really what you want? Um, but I, I, I had decided, I mean, that's my personality. Once I've made the decision, it's kind of, you know, it's a hard decision to make. It wasn't an easy decision to make. Do I wish that I didn't have to have gone? If you, if you sort of look, look at it in that respect, 
if policing had been different and, and had been a different environment, then yeah, I would have loved to stay. And obviously I had my national colleagues as well who were also disappointed that I'd got to that position, but I was one of a few. I wasn't the only person that was leaving at that time. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly been people who've left since me. So life goes on. That That's the nature of policing. I mean, yes, you're right. It was described to me as a bucket of water. And when you take your hand out of that bucket of water, after a few minutes, a few seconds, the ripples stop and people have forgotten that you've had your hand in the bucket. But I think you probably had those interpersonal skills before you joined the police service, if I'm perfectly honest with you, because, you know, I think you've, you've got those anyway, and you've, but you've used them to good effect now. But what was that like? Did you have a job to go to when you left? Yeah, I mean... I had already, it it wasn't a case of, of resigning as a police officer and then just sitting, deciding what I want to do. It was a very purposeful move. I knew I wanted to go into the area of of um, EDI, as we, as we call it, and I knew I wanted to work in that space and the opportunity came and, um, you know, going into the sports industry is very different to what I'd done, but essentially the work I was doing um, and that I am doing was the same. And that's that's the beauty of equality, diversity and inclusion. You know, it's whilst it might be delivered in a different way, it's the same concept. I'd spent a lot of time developing myself and understanding a little bit more. And because what I will say to you, Paul, is that having passion is not enough. You need to have more than passion oh, to I stick agree. out jobs like policing. You know, you can't just be passionate about policing. You've got to have some metal. You've got to have some resilience. You've got to have all these skills are what have helped me go into because EDI is one of those subjects that, of course, I'm very aware that when I start talking about stuff, people are like, oh, and obviously that term that I hate the most, woke, is, you know, it is not something that people, everybody's comfortable with, but it's, it's something that's important to me and isn't on a personal level about how I'm treated by other people, but then wanting to make it different for others. I, I mean, it's interesting because I don't actually know what woke means, if I'm really <laughs> honest with you. I don't. I think that if I think if people have got a different opinion, they're entitled to display it as long as they're polite and they do it in the right way. And, if, you know, I, but I don't actually know the full connotation of woke. Mm. Well, it's this idea, isn't it, that people have suddenly awoken from a slumber and, and realise that there's something gone on that they want to support or they want to, um, as if it's something new that hasn't been there the whole time. Um, and it, it's meant in a, an insulting way, obviously, when people call you that. And I know many people who will say they're proud to be woke. I just genuinely don't like the word. I just think that it's unnecessary and it's just not helpful to anyone. But I think you're absolutely right. Of course, people are allowed to have different opinions. And I think one of the things that I realized about policing is that when we go back to the political aspect of what you said, there were a number of incidents that happened towards the sort of end of my service across the country and, and abroad, which affected people in how they felt and how they processed information. And how they felt about what was going on around them in circumstances. And some people would say, well, that's a political thing that they shouldn't be involved in because it doesn't affect them. It's not in this country or maybe um, something that's happened that they has been perceived as a, as a political thing. But what sat at the heart of that was an individual 
who was either talking about something that affected them because there'd been an earthquake or there'd been a, a murder or there'd been whatever had happened, which they had family who were from that country or they had connections through this country or they knew somebody over there. And that's the bit that I can never really reconcile with policing in terms of how how do you expect someone to shut off who they are as an individual and then come into the police? And so I'm not talking here about I will be voting this party or I will be voting that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about expressing empathy for a situation that has occurred that might have affected an individual and that being frowned on. I mean, you, you're alluding to the George Floyd issues um, and the, the stuff that's, that's happened in the US, but you're now with a premiership football club, the mighty Newcastle United. I mean, what a great season they had. What was that like being part of that team? I'm not, I don't want to know what you do, or but but being there when they were winning all those brilliant games and they're now in Champions League next year, what, what's that, what was that like for you going from the police service where to celebrate success, you'll get a commendation from the chief constable I think the the whole thing about what I've always felt and what attracted me to go into that role was about the Northeast as a community. Um, you know, it's what brings me back to the Northeast all the time. Where uh, I think that the feeling, the community spirit, you know, whatever team they get behind, because obviously we, oh, yeah. there, there's more than one. Oh, yeah, there um, are. But... I think for me, it was, it's amazing to be part of something that you walk down the street and everybody's happy about it. You know, that kind of proudness that you feel. It, it's a pride that I felt when I was in the police, you know, and, and when I first joined the police, I had that pride. I like to do things that give me that feeling of pride that I'm part of something bigger, that I'm part of something amazing. And, and that's how I feel. I think you're probably proud of being a police officer as well, if, if truth, you know, you, that, you, you, the time that you spent there, you were very proud of that and you've moved your your pride into a different arena. Yeah, I was absolutely proud of being a police officer. I have many, many friends who are still police officers up and down the country. And I think as a job, it's a really, really difficult job. I think there's a lot happening. I think it's like any job where there's parts of it that don't work and need to be fixed mm. very, very quickly. Um, but of course, I was proud. Again, it's a it's a privilege to hold the rank of a police officer, and it's something that gets forgotten sometimes by some individuals. But it is, it's a it's a very um, I think it's a very lucky thing to do. I, I don't, you know, I think you have to have respect for yourself and for those individuals who want to do that. I agree. People pay money to do what we did. It, mm -hmm. You only have to look at the popular media and the television programs, and you know whether it's Vera up there or the Sweeney, whatever it may be. People love it. They do love it. Mm -hmm. um, Zoe, before I conclude this interview, is there anything you'd like to add, alter, or correct in relation to the statement that you've given this afternoon? <laughs> how very formal that always sounds <laughs> no I mean I think for me 
it's it's probably the first time that I've really spoken about policing since I've left. I'm still very much involved with different things. Um, and I, I genuinely hope that policing can continue to progress and learn, but actually do something about what it's learning. Um, and I think that it could be where it wants to be in, in the future, but there's some hard work and there's some real questions. And I think we can't afford to just keep waiting for generations to kind of come out the other side of policing and, and wait for that change. I think there's a lot of, um, one thing I was gonna say to you before when you were talking about the different forces um, and them all doing something different. One of the big revelations for me was when I realized that the National Police Chiefs Council, um, someone there had said, well, we can't make forces do what they want. Uh, do what we want them to do and I thought so why why do we have that if there isn't going to be a consensus amongst police forces now I'm not saying that they need to be identical because obviously each area will have different things they've got, got to deal with but when it comes to basics you would think there would be a consensus and I think for me that was the point I wanted to make from earlier that um that is confusing for people within the job well, yeah, you're absolutely right, because how can, you know, I'm, I'm an Essex boy, but how can we do things so differently to Hertfordshire, Suffolk, Norfolk, who border Essex? And it should be it should be joined up, but it's not joined up. I mean, it's worse in the States because you haven't got any powers from state to state, but at least we, we haven't got to that point. But it's not, it's just not joined up, and you're absolutely right. Zoe, thank you so much for this afternoon, and I'm I'm really grateful, and I say it all the time, but I find, you know, our chat was interesting, and um, I think we'd have had an interesting conversation, even if we weren't doing a podcast, if I'm honest, so, but thank you so much for your time, uh, I wish you well, I wish you well for the future, and please keep in touch, and if there's anything that we can ever do, then please let us know. Will do. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. I'll speak to you soon. Bye.